Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and get started now. Welcome back to Sensibly Loud Radio. This is Be Easy Brandon, and I am joined today by Mountain Carl. Carl, what's going on, man? I'm back. Yay. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I spent a few few weeks or a couple weeks, you know, doing all kinds of stuff, and uh, and I am finally returned. So it feels good. You guys have done a really good job with, uh, with you know, Justin and, and Kaylin Peachy holding it down a couple weeks ago and then you and Justin holding it down last week. It really, really went well. Yeah, absolutely. I think for Justin, it's just like getting back on the old horse and, uh, you know, of course he's a little bit of a horse himself. So, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, it, uh, you know, it it was fun talking with them, catching up, um, seeing what was going on with him and, um, yeah, listening in with uh, him and Caitlin Peachy, uh, going over the treehouse episodes was awesome. Right. No, man. Uh, everything is uh, is real good over here. It's just been absolute mayhem trying to do, you know, finalized dog recovery and finishing up all kinds of stuff around here. And then I went out to the uh, the woods and and did a little bit of hunting with my father last weekend. So it's been a it's been a pretty interesting past couple weeks especially the halloween party that you uh so aptly threw <laughs> on on friday that was uh that was pretty cool i know that you and justin talked a little bit about that but i uh i i had the opportunity to show up with uh with my sweet mario costume on and and mountain girlfriend was peach of course because i felt like if she was sexy luigi that would be making a kind of a <laughs> statement i wasn't ready to to make so um no i think uh i think peach was was the right way to go on that one it was it was a lot of fun uh, you guys you guys really really set it up nice that was a kind of a great great little uh you know a kind of haunted-esque mm-hmm. setup you had there uh you had a david s pumpkins playing on a loop in the background which is always <laughs> the best thing to do yeah yeah, it was it was great. It was uh, and it all worked out too. Like me having that entire week off and coming back from the wedding and then coming back from you know I guess the tool concert. I still had some days to kind of help uh, Dan get it all set up. But yeah, I mean we were setting things up like it it went down to the wire. I mean it was we're looking at the clock and it's okay. Yeah, it's about eight p.m. and uh, we're still setting stuff up. And Dan's like, I don't know if we want to mess with the uh, 
the spider web stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 you got to do it. You bought it. So we got to do it. So me and his girlfriend helped set that up on the fireplace. And I put the bloody footprints down from the corner scene where the, the crime scene was the corner bag, which led all the way into the guest bathroom. And yeah, I was like doing that real quick. And I'm like, okay, now I got to get ready. You know? So yep. yeah, it all kind of came together. And uh, yeah, I think next year it'll be even bigger, but uh, I think, you know, him going all out doing the, you know, custom Jason that was about like seven foot tall or something, you know, with flipping you. God, that was insane. <laughs> yeah, he did a really good job on that. So I wasn't part of that at all. But yeah, I, th I thought we had a pretty good turnout and everybody had a lot of fun and, um, you know, playing pool badly and uh, <laughs> darts yeah. and food and drink and all that stuff, which, by the way, I still have uh, that gin that you left over. Oh, good. No, that, that at this point I can write that off as a gift. I think okay. you know we, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you 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 are now the uh, the inheritor of of Greenall's gin for uh, for this round. So you have all the things to make your your martinis that you could ever want. And uh, you know, one of the one of the things that I know we're we're almost to Thanksgiving now, so this is kind of ridiculous. But one of the things that I I wanted to talk about back during Halloween time was the fact that you can't escape the gravitational pull of the movie Hocus Pocus when uh, when when girlfriend is involved or uh, well, I pre that's pretty much it. If you're if if you are with your significant other and she is in any way tuned into Halloween. I will give you a nine out of 10 shot. The Hocus Pocus is going to come up. Why did this movie become such a big freaking deal? Like after the fact, I told you, I told you that like my first experience with this uh, was about two weeks ago. I talked about this, but like, you know, my first experience with this was, you know, when it came out in theaters and I was in San Antonio and I was a little kid. Right. And I was sick as a dog. I mean, I was probably running like 102 fever or something. And I, you know, had to run out and like throw up in an ashtray. And that was like my only mental connection to Hocus Pocus for about 15 years. Right. And yeah. then magically everyone I start dating loves Hocus Pocus. So I don't know when this movie like hit an inflection point. So yeah, I have a pretty interesting take on it because I have, I too have observed that uh, becoming a young man over the years and uh, dating some women in my life that, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, it's, I think on our generation, it, it has a gravitational pull towards females. And, uh, I, I don't know what it is. It's just, I don't know if it's just the cast, the, the story or, or just everything about it. But it's funny you mentioned that because when I was up in the mountains in North Carolina for the wedding, uh, I got there and I noticed that, uh, my friend had, uh, Hocus Pocus on DVD and was just laying out. And I was like, of course you'd be watching this, you know? And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm still obsessed with it. But yeah, I've had uh, a few girlfriends in the past that were obsessed with it as well. It's either that or you it's... You can't um, escape its orbit. Yeah, you can't escape this its orbit. And it's either that or it's also Nightmare Before Christmas. You know, it's one of those two. That's a good point. Nightmare Before Christmas, I think, was actually a good movie. I mean, it was, it was kind of weird at the time, obviously. I mean, when do you release nightmare before christmas you know i mean it it's just uh, is it a halloween movie is it a christmas movie what are we really doing here yeah. but it was it was a good i mean that was i think uh, from a plot standpoint that was a strong movie 
And uh, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It takes a little bit for me to muscle through Hocus Pocus every year. I mean, I, I do understand that it's a fun movie to watch during during October and everything. But uh, the, the only, my only ta- takeaway from all of that is the fact that Doug Jones is a zombie and Doug, Doug Jones for the, for people who don't know, Doug Jones is maybe one of the most often overlooked kind of guys. Uh, it's not motion capture, but what is it? It's kind of like a physical art, right? Like yeah. he's always the guy that's behind the makeup. Um, one of the more famous things he did was uh, he was uh, Abe Sapien in Hellboy. Uh, but he wasn't the voice of Abe Sapien, which is always kind of like a, a weird um, issue, I guess, in and of itself. They had David Hyde Pierce as the voice of him. But uh, but yeah, no, Doug Jones, uh, if you look up his, you know, the stuff that he's been in and everything, I think he's actually in the new Star Trek now, the TV show and everything. But he's uh, he's always there. He's in pretty much every movie that you've ever had to dress up somebody in thick makeup in and have them do <laughs> crazy shit and so the fact that he was actually the zombie and hocus pocus is kind of like yeah like i get that i don't know if it's his first thing or what but i always i always think of him during during that time and then uh maybe one of the dumbest names i've ever heard in my life thackeray binks that's uh (laughs) that's the other that's the other thing i think of whenever i think of hocus pocus so my threat to mountain girlfriend is to name our first child, our first hypothetical child, Thackeray Banks, right? I yeah. think that's, I mean, it's, it's it's not exactly an empty threat. I think that I have as much naming rights as she does, right? So Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. So uh, I guess there's some news that's come out that they're developing a Hocus Pocus sequel. So that was the, the scuttlebutt, right? So the Disney Plus channel right their streaming services coming out they were conscripting of all people uh this it was a writer for the show workaholics have you ever seen workaholics oh yeah of course yeah funny show that that is a funny show but it's also when you think about a family friendly show that comes out during halloween or something like that like you do not think that someone from workaholics which it's not a hard r style mm-hmm. you know comedy or anything like that but i definitely put it in the upper ranks of like a pg-13 as comedy central show it's funny it's a funny show yeah, but it's a, yeah. uh, it's not for everybody and to think mm-hmm. that hocus pocus 2 could be written by someone who did writing and show running for that is pretty amazing to me but yeah no uh, supposedly they're trying to work on getting the original cast back um and it's uh, who knows it it's We'll see. Maybe best case scenario for all you bachelors out there, you'll get another great drinking game movie out of it. <laughs> so, I mean, what has Bette Miller been up to? I, I haven't really seen her in much of anything. Um, you know, like, the, I guess the 90s was her heyday, really. Uh, and, of course, the 80s as well, like some of Justin's favorite movies, with uh, especially the one with her and Danny DeVito in it. But, uh, yeah, it's like right. she she was in Seinfeld. She was she was all over the place in the '90s. You couldn't escape her. And then into the 2000s, things kind of started taping off. I think she 
was on a talk show at one point. Um, I think she was on The View. I mean, who hasn't been on The View, right? <laughs> so uh, yeah, if, yeah. I think if you you're in constant rotation on on The View, I'm gonna look up her her IMDb real yeah, quick. I'm oh, just good. Here we go. Uh, pre-production, we've got some really really big uh big stuff coming up, like the tale of the allergist's wife. Um, no, I'm just kidding. This, some of the stuff she's actually been in was, uh, the Adams family. Okay. So 2019, she was actually the voice of the grandma in the CGI, oh, okay. uh, Adams family show. I was about to say, um, she could easily do voiceover work and make a quick, you know, yeah, quick few million. Uh, apparently she, she was in Murphy Brown, the, the at some point, um, like the the recreation of Murphy Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Bette Midler, great. Good, good. I mean, she's she's a good actress. I'm happy that she is still in work, but I don't. She's not doing a whole lot of anything. Yeah. So, you know, someone who is doing a whole lot of acting is Matthew McConaughey. That's true. Yeah, he's all over the place, and he's all over the place. And uh, apparently, my boy Matt is being looked at for a role in the Batman, which I think is kind of interesting. I don't, I think he's like wish list level right now. This is a total rumor, but they were talking about him potentially being Harvey Dent. Yeah. Uh, I had heard that too. And it's interesting cause you know, like he's doing a lot of work at, uh, at UT university of Texas and I think he's a professor there. Now he's got some sort of administrative role, um, trying to, I guess, uh, instill or, or just sort of like, uh, reinstill the values and stuff of, you know, of that, that college and university. But uh, with him being so busy on that, I was kind of like wondering, okay, is he, is he going to take a break from uh, doing anything creatively uh, in Hollywood? And I don't know. Um, I'm not sure if this is a, a complete rumor or yeah, if he is on a wish list. but, you know, thinking about, you know, um, the work that was done in the dark night of, uh, I uh, can't rem- remember his name off the top of my head, but the actor that portrayed Harvey Dent in Two-Face, uh, excellent actor, and I thought he did a really good job in The Dark Knight, and that's right. more of the Harvey Dent that I was used to in the comics, um, and I feel like if this is the case, I think Matthew McConaughey would definitely knock it out of the park. Now, he just turned 50, so I don't... I don't know, like age-wise. I always kind of envision Harvey Dent as like you know in his forties, but eh, it doesn't really matter. Right. I mean, Matthew McConaughey is a national treasure, so <laughs> yeah, he's he's also ageless, right? I mean, like he looks he looks like he's thirty-five and he's fifty. So yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not too worried about that. Could you imagine being in a class led oh, by Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> I think he would keep hey, it fun, hey, hey. but I think. Uh, I think he would be a very serious professor too. Like you don't want to, you don't want to like mess with him at all. Um, <laughs> I could see him, you know, like maybe kicking some people out, you know. But, uh, but I don't know. My take on this is, uh, I, you know, seeing him in in past roles, and I mean, all the way back to a lot of the films in the '90s, and and even recently, like the stuff he did with uh, True Detective. Uh, I mean, he's had some very intense roles, and so I know that he can bring it. Um, and he can have that sense of duality where he is the, you know, the, the DA that, that is trying to, uh, crusade for justice and, and try to, 
do the best he can to like get crime off the streets and then all of a sudden slip into madness. Like I could totally see him nailing this role. But if he doesn't get it, I'm you know, I totally trust in this director, uh, Matt Reeves, because it seems like every casting announcement we're getting lately, it's just been amazing. Like, you know, Paul Dano is Riddler and you know, I the only one I I'm not really familiar with, of course, is Zoe Kravitz, as I said on the previous episode, but I totally trust in in his vision because these announcements are definitely kind of like reminding me of when I was hearing the announcements and the casting announcements for The Dark Knight or for any of those Batman films. Could you imagine uh, Matt Reeves sitting down and watching like the Lincoln lawyer and saying, Matthew McConaughey, like, that's my man. I want him to play a lawyer in my movie about Batman. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, (laughs) he's, oh, God, I can't. I, I can absolutely see him being Harvey Dent, but it'd be a Harvey Dent that we've never seen before. If it's a, uh, speaking of things we've never yeah. seen before, did you see that Colin Farrell was in talks for the Penguin? Yeah, um, I started hearing a rumor that he was in talks, and then all of a sudden it came out that it was for Penguin. I kind of envision maybe him being, you know, an Alfred or a different character, but to be Penguin, I'm like, okay, I can see that because. I mean, they, they kind of did their own take on it in the series Gotham, uh, and that actor wasn't exactly some overweight, you know, obese-looking creature with a pointy nose, you know. He had a long nose, but mm-hmm. he just looked like, a, you know, your, your stereotypical gangster, you know. And, uh, right. and and the Penguin in the comics is not anything like uh, Danny DeVito's take, or I should say Tim Burton's take in Batman Returns, where he's just this creature <laughs> that lives in the sewers, and, and uh, you know, Pee Wee Herman is his father and all this stuff. Uh, well, I should say Paul Rubin, the actor, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, he's, he's a arms dealer. Um, so I could definitely see Colin Farrell do this. I, you know, we've talked about Colin Farrell in the past and how I, he's really impressed me with the films that I'd seen him in and the range that he has. So I, I definitely hope this happens. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, yeah, as as much as I've kind of been out on the whole Colin Farrell train, I can definitely see this happening um, as a more stylized, more suave, you know, penguin, if there ever could be such a thing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but we also have some other news in that Andy Serkis is in talks to uh, portray Alfred, which is really interesting because... His name has been kind of thrown around with the Batman wishlist rumor. Uh, and a lot of people were thinking that he was in talks for Penguin. But it turns out it looks like he's going to be Alfred, which I could totally see him doing that. And that will be a very different sort of take because he's always done these, you know, uh, creature type of uh, portrayals. You know, wh- whether it's, uh, you know, Matt Reeves' films with uh, Planet of the Apes, you know, and... and uh, the war of planet of the apes and and all that stuff that came out where he basically was Caesar, the, the ape. And, uh, you know, so he's done work there, but it's interesting too, because, you know, he was, he was the bad guy, um, not in any sort of creature form in uh, black Panther. So it's, it's interesting that he's just, I mean, he's, he's been in so many films over the last decade alone, but such a great actor. And with him being Alfred, I could see him not really, being that needed and maybe not having too many parts uh, to to do, because I know that he is going to be uh, developing and directing a film uh, this next year. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if, if this happens. But what do you think about it? No, I, I think Andy Serkis is one of the few people that's exactly as badass as I think he is. 
And, uh, and, and I mean, of course, that that can be said for pro- a few, you know, actors and actresses that are in Hollywood. But uh, Andy Serkis is the every movie that he's been in seems to portray something with like a level of grit. And 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 so to see him in a more polished Alfred role would definitely be able to stretch his acting muscles a little bit, especially when he's not hitting anybody in the face or coveting a ring or, you know, becoming an ape. I don't know, like just all the kinds of crazy shit that he's done in his acting career. <laughs> like this is the one like playing a a relatively reserved butler that used to serve in a, in, you know, a military capacity is something that he's never done. So, I mean, if you're going to play something that's a little bit more buttoned down, this is a pretty good character to get into. Yeah. And pretty great actors have uh, portrayed Alfred in the past, you know, with Jeremy Irons most recently in the justice league and Batman V Superman and ever. And then of course, uh, Michael Caine, uh, who was, I thought he, <laughs> knocked it out of the park uh i'm a big big fan of his My, michael kane is is one of, is I mean, I, i've always said there are like three types of actors right there's there's the character and method actor right I, I put that in one pot i put the the character who's really good at playing themselves in every role right or the character that's really good at playing their typecast role and Michael Caine always seemed to me to be the kind of actor that was really good at playing himself, except as someone who's really good at playing himself in every role, he absolutely has that kind of uh, gravitas and and capability where it works in in so many different roles. So it's he doesn't take anything away from it. You never watch him in something and you're like, God, like I wish that somebody else was cast in this. So I've I've always been a big fan. Yeah, plus he's he uh he really has a good uh comedic sense of, of things too. Like uh, you know, thinking back to a movie he did with Steve Martin back in the eighties. Um I can't recall the title right now, but the movie was just hilarious. But I think his best role that I think uh I mean, Interstellar he had a pretty powerful role, um, but it was kind of like right. an Alfred type role. I think the role that um is probably his best role that I can think of is in the prestige. Yeah, yeah, he was he was excellent in the prestige. Uh it's funny because I mean like our generation thinks of him so much in these recent movies, especially like the Christopher Nolan movies and stuff like that. But he was like you said, it's like he's in movies with Steve Martin mm-hmm. and Christopher Reeves and all kinds of like at the time heavy hitters for the day and stuff that doesn't even come up on our generation's radar. It doesn't necessarily mean those were good movies in their own right but he never did a bad job in them. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I can't remember which one that movie, that movie is with Christopher Reeves, but man, that was like, a, that was a weird movie. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know. I'll, I'll find it at some point. We might do a, uh, a little review of that. Probably, you know, if we, if we sit down and, and do another movie night next, uh, early next year or something, we might pop that one in and just scratch our heads collectively <laughs> at what Christopher Reeves is doing out of his Superman outfit. So, yeah, it would be crazy, though, if he had never taken part in any of Christopher Nolan's films and say he didn't really do much of anything, um, you know, throughout those years. I think everybody in our generation would be like, oh, yeah, he played the dad in Austin Powers' Goldmember. 
<laughs> yeah, that was yeah. the last thing. Forgot all about he was that known one. for. Yeah, yeah. It the the Christopher Nolan stuff has greatly shaped what we think about when we think about him. Mm-hmm. So I, I absolutely, I absolutely believe that, and that's a good point. I mean, I I don't know how they found each other, but they're they're an excellent match. Is he going to be in uh in the in his in Christopher Nolan's new movie? Do we know that? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised because he's been in yeah. basically every Christopher Nolan film. But at the same time, like some things have kind of uh, like Christopher Nolan isn't working with Hans Zimmer on this film. So there might be some differences. And I, I think it's also a, you know, Christopher Nolan had to get a new cinematographer, I think, on the last film he did. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Michael Caine's sitting this one out, but. Uh, right. It'd be amazing if he was, because I think he brings that, like you said, that gravitas and that elder statesman uh, sort of vibe to any set and any cast that that he's cast in. As long as we bring back Tom Berenger, that's all I care about. <laughs> uh, uh, that I remember. I remember watching Tom Berenger in The Sniper. Did yeah. you ever see oh, that movie with Billy dude, Zane yeah. and everything? Like, yeah, yeah. Say no, no that more. I, I think I like recorded that on a blank VHS back in the day. And I was like, Oh, I love this movie. It's so good. And now you go back and watch it and you're just like, <laughs> what the hell is this? Yeah, no, you it, can make it's, a drinking that... game out of it. <laughs> no, you really can though. I, and, and that's the funny thing. I, it's a, uh, it's another, another one where you can say like, how many sequels do we make out of this? You know? And, and obviously Tom Berger is not in all of them. He, they did like a straight to VHS kind oh, of yeah, thing yeah, yeah. for a lot of that. But like, uh, but I mean, like, if you looked at how many police academies they made versus how many snipers they made, that's another good race we could get into. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, Bill, Billy Zane uh, reprising any role is is gold. Like the oft sought after Billy Zane, you know, like, hey, uh, we're gonna make a sniper five. Uh, Billy, would you mind coming back for that? And he's just, yeah, I don't have anything else going on. <laughs> Hey, so. we're gonna we're gonna bring back uh, the Phantom. Do you think you could still fit in this outfit? <laughs> oh, dude! Uh, the, the one thing I remember about the Phantom is uh, Treat Williams getting blinded by that microscope. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you remember that? I mean, like yeah. of all the stuff when I was watching that as a kid, that, that was like I never wanted to look in another microscope for the rest of my life. I yeah. was just like, holy crap! I mean, like of course I'm like doing this and you know like. Uh, you know, science class and stuff like that. When, uh, when uh, we're in, um, like, I don't know, I guess it was in junior high or something, but like uh, we were, we were using microscopes and stuff. And I was just like, I would like always like be really, really slowly working that focus knob. Like, God, I hope I don't get blinded by this trick microscope, yeah. you know, God, that was, that was not, not something you wanted to watch as a child, Man. but uh, yeah. Oh God, everything about that. Um, you know what else comes to mind when we talk about uh the Phantom? Yeah, what's up? Is uh the shadow. Oh yeah, the shadow. With uh yeah. uh Alec. Alec, Alec Baldwin. Yeah. The shadow to me was more awesome than than um the Phantom. I, I really enjoyed the Easily. shadow. I thought, you know, and it's it's kind of a weird film too, and it kinda I know it has like some continuity errors and then you get towards the end and it's like the end of the film is completely different from the rest of the film. But, but I just liked how it had that noir type of vibe to it. Absolutely. Um, there was, there was one other thing that came out 
during, and this is important because I believe it's a Sam Raimi film, which obviously we're going to have to talk about Army of Darkness shortly. Oh yeah. But uh, what was it? I'm I'm trying to trying to look up here, see if I can find it. It wasn't. Uh, this is bad radio. I'm sorry. That's all good. Uh, we we talk uh, anyway. But yeah, there's uh, there's another one. I, I can't remember. Um, God, who was it? Uh, I'm I'm struggling here. It's taken. Um, who's that actor? Why why can't I think of that right now? And and what taken? In taken, yeah. Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. I, I know there where you're go. getting at. You're you're getting at uh uh something man. Right. Yeah, uh, crap. What was the name of it? He had Hold bandages on. I'm, on I'm his face. Do... Dark man. Dark man. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Dark man. Oh my god. Now that that's a that crazy a franchise. Struggle. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. That I can't. I can't remember. It. And then the, the sequel is like Die Dark Man Die. Yeah. <laughs> that was a really crazy uh, role, and and. I think that was based off of a graphic novel, like it has to be, but uh, it, it was just a very interesting character. He was almost kind of like an anti-hero, you know? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, and that was, uh, yeah, it, it was Sam Raimi, by the way. I'm not ah, okay. that makes completely sense. out of my freaking mind right now. <laughs> but yeah, um, no, okay. So anyway, we've we've covered three movies in two minutes. There you go. Uh Darkman, The Shadow, and Phantom, which all I'm pretty sure came out right around the same time. Yeah. Just so, about, yep. Oh, God. But yeah, anyway, uh, one one day we'll, will we, will we ever do a review of The Shadow and The Shadow Knows and everything? What a weird ass movie that was. We should do a review of that. I mean, I it's been a while since I've seen it. So yeah, we should, we should watch that. That would be great. There, there are, there are parts of that movie that stick out to me, just like a blind treat Williams. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, there's a, that knife that, oh, yeah. uh, that, that, uh, Alec Baldwin, you know, gets, it's like, uh, the knife that belongs to, or dagger that belongs to the main antagonist in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's got it like flies around and it's got like this face on it, like the face, like bite people and stuff like that. That's what a right. weird ass. It was it, was it was a graphic novel as well. I mean, oh, yeah, I know, yeah, I know yeah. that the shadows definitely. A, it was like a serial. Uh, you know, back in the day, it was like you know you had Batman, or and, and this was another one of those sort of like serial comics that was out. But yeah, I think it started getting more traction and and became more serious over the years. But uh, yeah, it, it's a real interesting movie. I I just remember like, uh, I think the scene I remember most is when he's trapped in that water tank and it's filling up and he has to like bust that's it out. yeah yeah yep absolutely um that'd be a good drinking game movie too every single <laughs> time the knife flies around that would yeah or every single time he says the shadow knows the shadow knows. um yeah. or laughs uncontrollably from the shadows that's now, always a good move yeah that was pretty awesome yeah i dig it um so speaking of old movies that nobody knows anything about uh let's talk about old actors that nobody can remember except for their name james dean <laughs> Yeah, James Dean. Um, yeah, so this thing came up recently, and the fact is that for some reason in this modern age where there are plenty of actors to go around, there uh, there seems to be a need to resurrect James Dean for a Vietnam War movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I listen, I James Dean, good actor. Okay. Um but when you're looking at a movie and we can get into the, the greater argument of should you resurrect people for movies, obviously Star Wars is about to come out. That's going to be a big deal. However, James Dean, when you look at your casting that you need to do for a movie and you think to yourself, God, you know, like the only person that can act in this role is James Dean. Okay. Like there's a it's, logical disconnect, yeah, right? The only person because, is Tupac. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so the idea being, of course, that you're going to digitally recreate James Dean in a role. So are you going to al- algorithmically, you know, put together like how James Dean acted? I mean, you have to have somebody else acting, you know, in, in doing like motion capture and stuff like that to properly get that, that frame right. Don't you? Yeah. I mean, like you, somebody else is acting in the stead of James Dean and you're just CGI plopping his face onto that actor. Doesn't that kind of blow up the argument of like all you can really do is have James Dean act in a current movie? Yeah. it And do like some deep fake thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, call up Andy Circus or, you know, it's I, I don't really <laughs> under I don't understand it either when I. Uh, heard about this and I mean I think everybody's been um, like I, I think I, I read like uh, the actor uh, who's the guy who who's uh, Captain America um, it's not Chris Pine oh. it's uh, Chris no it's Chris Evans Chris Evans yeah he was very vocal about how dumb this is and, and it's you know it's like James Dean be rolling in his, gr- his grave I mean this is just stupid but uh, you know it's like why not if you want someone that looks like him why not cast you know, there's a lot of lookalikes out there or why not cast, uh, you know, um, you know, someone like uh, Brad Pitt or uh, or even Chris Evans, you know, himself. He kind of looks like him. It's, it's like, why have James Dean himself now? Again, I don't know much about what this Vietnam War movie is. I don't know if this is going to be a major character and he's one of the main characters throughout or if it's just a James Dean cameo. I don't know. Uh, it, it gets weirder though because they said he was like the second lead character. So really? I mean, he's obviously uh, going to share some actual screen time, right? And if I mean, what kind of argument do you make in a boardroom if you're like the only thing I can see this being a actual thing that people want to do is or, or make it be something that people want to do is to say like this is a tech demonstration, right? But it's just like a really high budget tech demonstration because i mean you can't make the argument that it's cheaper to get a inexpensive actor Mm -hmm. that nobody knows for motion capture and then invest millions on doing like frame by frame cgi of a dead actor's face on it yeah it it, there's there's no cost savings there at all so I, i i don't get it um the movie is called finding jack and without the weird James Dean controversy surrounding this whole thing. It actually sounds like it's like a super duper tearjerker movie, right? Like it's it's about a guy finding a finding a, a dog or or I guess bonding with his service dog mm-hmm. in Vietnam, and then having to like summarily leave behind like thousands of service dogs in Vietnam because they're getting the hell out of there, right? Yeah. So and then like having to go back and. And trying to find the dog or escape Vietnam with the dog. I don't know exactly how it works, but 
the bottom line is it's it's a compelling enough story to me without this weird James Dean crap that I would be driven to say, oh, like you you can cut a good trailer with this with a decent actor, right? I mean, you can you can get the hype built up around this movie without resorting to weird tricks. And I think that's kind of the thing that I'm scratching my head over is, oh, we, well, we got permission from James Dean's family to to do this. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, sure, right? I mean, like, I guess you did, but who, but who gives a shit? <clears throat> yeah, it's, and it's interesting times, too. I mean, we've been seeing it happen a lot with, uh, you know, like Rogue One at the end, we see sort of a uh, CGI interpretation of a young Princess Leia at the end. And then now we got right. The Irishman, which is coming out this month. And, you know, uh, a very young Robert De Niro and a very young Al, Al Pacino and Joe Pesci. And so the technology is definitely getting there. And it's it's going to that's what what I've been kind of like interested in seeing what's going to come down the pipe with all that stuff. Of You know, eventually they'll come out with these films where they're able to get those actors at a, at a younger age. And, you know, but it's like, is it really a necessity, especially if the actor is not alive anymore? I, I don't. I don't know if I just feel like that it's too much of a risk to tarnish someone's legacy um, by doing right. something like that and it not being an honest representation of, well, would this really be the actor's choice of how he would he would be? Or is this more of a parody of, you know, just because Al Pacino can get loud and everything? Is he really, you know, like after he passes away in the future, you know, of doing like a Scarface 2 or something, you know, it's just I, I feel like there is going to be a lot of unnecessary um you know, films that could be developed like that. Uh, and I guess this is the start of that. So I, I don't know. I, I do think it's a bit odd that they're doing this whole James Dean thing. And um, honestly, I think it's to maybe kind of, you know, create that controversy and all of a sudden, like now you're marketing your film in that way because everybody's talking about it at the water floor. So I don't know. No, I, I, absolutely. I mean, like, and it does kind of seem, a little shameless in that way, but there, I mean, I think you'll agree with me. There's a fundamental difference here between de-aging someone and resurrecting them. Right. And if you go into that argument and you start from a tech perspective and you say, listen, guys, the, the software, you know, like the, the intelligence that we use to create a de-aged actor is the same as resurrecting that actor. And everybody bases their like ethical, and uh, logical arguments on that alone. It seems like it's kind of a no-brainer, like, oh, shit, we'll, we'll just resurrect everybody. But, but it doesn't get into the deeper questions of, one, uh, what happens when that person, you know, the, the motion-captured person is up for an Oscar, right? Which, I, again, like, <laughs> like most things, if you have, if you have awards any kind of uh, any kind of capacity, uh, be it uh, sports and controversies surrounding that, or uh, movies and controversies, you know, controversies surrounding that, who the award goes to and how that gets disseminated is, is going to be a, a bigger, you know, more divisive thing than the actual act of having somebody being in that movie in the first place. So, I can certainly see that becoming an issue down the road. Um, and, and again, like a motion captured actor, like, you know, Robert De Niro being de-aged and playing Robert De Niro, you're motion capturing Robert De Niro. You're doing a frame by frame de-aging 
of Robert De Niro. Regardless of how good that technology is, you're actually attributing those facial movements and things like that and that action to the original actor. Let's bring in uh, some cheapo guy, you know, who just is really good at motion. We're not talking about Andy Serkis. We're talking about a guy who's going to be dubbed over, right, with, you know, James Dean voice samples, stuff like that. Do you really think that I mean, does the actor posthumously get a an Oscar because of a movie? Or do you actually give the Oscar to the person who was portraying James Dean underneath that? Mm-hmm. Or is it completely CGI? So I, I, I just don't I, I don't think that the whole industry has caught up with this idea yet i think that they're they're probably trying to force the issue in a really unsatisfactory way Mm -hmm. and they're not working with anybody behind the scenes to make it happen so they just want to be the first to do it and if they do it in a shitty way like the the risk benefit is is not there like that i don't i don't see this I, i don't understand aside from obviously the marketing aspect and the tech demonstration aspect of it i don't see where the massive payoff is for this down the road. So I guess that's, that's my complaint with all of it. And, and obviously um, giving the person who's doing the actual acting behind the mask of James Dean actual credit, mm-hmm. you know, I mean like, uh, Oh, Hey man, how did you get your start? Oh, well I was CGI James Dean and finding Jack, <laughs> you know, like I, what, I don't, I don't know. Like, and again, like we brought up Doug Jones early on and Doug Jones, you know, had that big controversy with, um, uh, Hellboy in that he did this entire thing and he was like really brushing up on his acting skills. And the entire time he had done all this work to, to basically do this role and, and he was going to be smothered in makeup and, and he worked really hard to get the voice right and stuff like that. And then they brought David Hyde Pearson at the 11th hour to, to record over him. I'm not saying he got robbed or anything. I mean, David Hyde Pierce is a fine actor, mm-hmm. but in the end, someone who would have gotten, you know, attributed that role, like Jones, who is behind all the makeup and everything doing the acting. If you have a voiceover, doesn't that muddle? everything in the end i mean i don't know it's just uh it's hard to get the attribution right to who's doing the acting in certain points and 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 how you actually divide that up and who you're actually congratulating at what point so we'll we'll see ethical ethical uh arguments be damned i think the logic outweighs this one uh without a doubt yeah, that's an interesting um, point that you brought up with the ramifications and award season, how that would work out. And, you know, the other thing that's been developing with technology is, uh, you know, the the presentation and the quality in video games. And, like, recently I, I just uh, purchased Red Dead Redemption 2, which I'm still trying to get some kinks worked out on my uh, my PC to, to get it fully playing at, at high quality. But... Uh, you know, but it's just amazing the the way that technology is progressing with how um, graphically everything looks uh, and, and presentation there. And a lot of these things, you know, you're you're basically inhabiting a role and it's a very cinematic quality that, you know, as that goes uh, down the path in the future, it's kind of like, well, if they're giving awards to 
these motion capture people, you know, I could see maybe, you know, some of these video games becoming more of a cinematic experience. I mean, they're already starting to get, uh, you know, that way with certain things like, you know, the Tall Tale series that did Batman and a few others. And, you know, and now you have a lot of these really lengthy games that, you know, these studios spend a lot of time on where you're basically playing a movie and uh oh yeah you know so it's it, it'll be interesting to see like you know if they would be included in the awards or if if they would create their own awards for that kind of stuff like it'll be interesting to see what would happen and and that would be you know something that uh i think for many people who can't break out into a a role in terms of uh you know live action acting for films i mean there there's a lot of successful people there's one person i know in particular who does voiceovers for video games and does an excellent job or they do voiceover for animated stuff so you know it's there it's it's really kind of expanding the the palette for actors of of different choices that they could do but yeah there there is a slippery slope to that so yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens with this film though the video games as movies thing is kind of an interesting question that we need to touch on here um at some point if not today because uh obviously there are more likenesses of um, actors being used in video games. I think one of the most prominent ones today, uh, aside from, well, no, I would say that one of the most prominent ones today is probably something like a Hideo Kojima yeah. game, right? Like, a, And Sam Bino and I have always been really into the weird crap that that man puts out, like Metal Gear Solid. Um, and so you have this this game that he just came out with which is is getting very uh confusing reviews called death stranding mm -hmm. and uh it's it's got like some really really big acting names in it i'm, I'm not talking about it's not like a, a brad pitt tom cruise level thing but uh it's got norman reedus from uh from walking dead um Let's see who else was in there. Um, I'm actually looking it up right now. Stand by. Yeah, because there, there were. Yeah, you even have like a, another game called Cyberpunk, which is coming out, and that's got uh, yeah. Keanu Reeves in it. So yeah, you're seeing a lot of these things starting to come out. Okay, uh, Maz Mikkelsen, uh, Leah Sadu, uh, Troy Baker. Um, so I'll, like th these are these are names in acting, right? Mm -hmm. And. Um, and, and everybody can give varying takes on how good or bad the game is. But if you've ever played a Hideo Kojima game like Metal Gear Solid, anything, um, you know, if you skip through the cutscenes, it's like a 30 minute game. Yeah. Right. So the question has always been, oh, when is there going to be a Metal Gear Solid movie coming out? And it's kind of like, uh, well, you know, obviously, does that really matter? Because I just spent, you know, 80 hours sitting through cutscenes and, you know, 30 minutes playing a video game. So did I just watch a movie that was already directed and everything, you know, like, did I get, did I get the, the benefit that I would get out of maybe playing an interactive movie versus simply just sitting down and watching a movie? You yeah. know, what kind of, what kind of service are you trying to convey to somebody? So uh, taking that intellectual property, Stretching it out over a movie and cinematic medium seems like it could be beneficial, but it has to be beneficial for another reason outside of just rehashing what's been done. So, and I think that's kind of what 
people have struggled with with like the Hideo Kojima stuff and like mm -hmm. a Metal Gear Solid movie is what the hell would that be really because if you tried to abbreviate you know the last you know 160 plus hours of cutscenes that you've watched you're probably not going to get all the little nuanced stuff that you got out of it yeah and like uh you know from what I, I haven't played the the latter uh Metal Gear Solid um you know uh chapters that have come out but uh, from what i've heard and i saw some behind the scenes like of, of the later ones uh Kiefer sutherland's voice in the character and i'm like man they, right they brought some like they like they're bringing their a game to each one of these releases so yeah it's it's it that is a real interesting um uh talking point though of like you know what would you rather have where you're sitting there and you're just presented with a film or are you in, in involved in more of an interactive experience where it's kind of like you choose what happens next and then that could you know potentially have a, a different outcome and uh and i think the replayability especially for me having games like that i'm always interested to see okay well how would it turn out if i if i chose uh, option b instead of option c or you know something like that right and like for open world stuff obviously that's a great choice and and i think that uh, yeah, I, I remember there being casting controversy with Kiefer Sutherland in the latter Metal Gear Solid uh, entry, and uh, you know David David uh, Hader, mm -hmm. who did the previous uh, the previous voice of the protagonist in that video game. And, and by the way, I mean like I think that both did a great job in their own way. But the, I, there's it, for people who don't know, there's actually plot reasons why Kiefer Sutherland is voicing uh the protagonist in the last metal gear solid and i won't spoil that for anybody but it's it's a pretty interesting take whether or not you like the game or not um key for someone obviously we're a big fan of him here on the show so yeah does he does he call up chloe or say damn it a lot yeah damn yeah damn it exactly chloe. yeah <laughs> well that is that is something that uh thankfully um what was it that uh solid snake Kiefer Sutherland have in, in common is that they con they constantly yell damn into the camera and time is a factor so I, I see that being a a good thing yeah yeah but yes we we love we love Kiefer Sutherland here on Since We Loud Radio absolutely so what else has been uh, going on in the news well uh, speaking of some. Uh, what was it? Um, so well, I said Solid Snake, but speaking of uh, anything that influences that, talk about two two steps removed. Um, I'm going to mention this first because we're kind of there. Uh, the movie Invisible Man is coming out, right? And we dropped the trailer for that recently. That is a really, really intense trailer. Um, I'm I'm very into this trailer. But uh, the one thing that I was kind of alluding to before with Solid Snake and stuff like that from uh, from Metal Gear Solid, his influence obviously was heavily done with Snake Plissken and Escape from New York. There is uh, the act, I'm sorry, the director that's doing this new Invisible Man movie is uh, Lee Whannell. Uh, if I mis or I mispronounced that, forgive me, but. Uh, he is apparently in pre-production for a remake of Escape from New York. Really? That's the first I've heard of that. 
Yeah, no, and this is this is IMDb knowledge. This is not something where I like talk to my men in Hollywood. You know, like this is this is straight up like, hey, look, pre product pre production notes, and here is Escape from New York. But apparently, hmm. he is involved in that remake. So he's done a, you know, he hasn't done a whole lot uh, when it comes to, you know, things leading up to Invisible Man, but. Uh, given the fact that we're you know hollywood is giving a bunch of new directors a shot uh this it seemed like it was awesome right i mean what what did you think about the trailer for invisible man it's interesting it's not what i it's it's kind of not what i envisioned it would be which is kind of a good thing because you know uh, to kind of like encapsulate all this stuff this is you know universal studios putting it out Universal years ago started coming up with the idea of gee, I wonder where they got the idea from. Probably Marvel uh, <laughs> of doing a sort of a monster universe thing and bringing back all their monsters. Right. So of course they started with the Mummy, and of course that movie was horrible. As was the trailer for, <laughs> for that. I keep yeah. laughing because I just remember like Tom Cruise like screaming the top of his lungs as the, <laughs> the plane's going down in the trailer. I just <laughs> I laughed every time that trailer that commercial or something would come on for it. But uh, that movie was was pretty bad, and uh, I think it it caused them sort of to go back and and look at okay, yeah, we need to we need to kind of reevaluate things. I, I know that Russell Crowe was in the in that film and did a good job, and he was kind of like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde type thing. Um, so you know they hinted at they were gonna bring back everything where they were gonna do like a Frankenstein and Visible Man and all that kind of stuff, and sort of like your Rogues Gallery of of all of your, um, you know, horror, um, you know, H.G. Uh, Wells type of, you know, as well as, you know, all the other authors and, and stuff that, you know, all these characters back in the day. So uh, I read uh, The Invisible Man. I, I read that book and I, I loved it, you know, as a kid growing up. And, you know, it's a very adult type of, uh, of novel for sure. Uh, so, you know, seeing this, though, it, it, it was more of like a, you know, um, you know, I think it's uh, what's her name? Elizabeth Moss. I think that's her name, uh, you know, and, and it looks like she's in an abusive relationship. And so it kind of has that vibe to it. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, he kills himself and she's like, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, she got away from this abusive relationship and now all of a sudden he's following her and he found a way to find, you know, make himself invisible. So he's more of a. Uh, no pun intended, but he's more of like a you know insidious or nefarious type of of character, which Invisible Man in the in the novel, yeah, a little bit, but yeah, the thing that it kind of reminded me of was Hollow Man because that kind of had a similar sort of um, setup, I guess. Yeah, and that was kind of funny. Like, I mean, like, how many people do you talk to, and they're like, God, you know what movie I miss? Hollow Man, <laughs> right? I mean, like. So it had Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth Shue. And I, I remember uh, this movie as one of those movies that like talking to my parents, they were like, we really don't want you to see mm -hmm. this movie. But, and, and, and for good reason. I mean, it, it's got some for for all of the kind of strange takes that you can take on Invisible Man. Like this was easily one of the darker ways to go about it. I mean, it was it was a it was a horror movie. Yeah. Full on. And it was, it was like the same thing that I'm getting from this trailer. And it's funny because I mean, obviously hollow man, uh, being, being as strange as it was, uh, has similar themes in that like a man as a monster 
kind of thing mm -hmm. like you know human what is humanity capable of and what is what is being invisible like and of course in hollow man it's one of the things that made him insane which is you know a, an interesting take but then in the invisible man you get the sense that this guy was a real ass before he became invisible so obviously i think we're going to explore uh some some a different direction in the new invisible man trailer than than hollow man and in the fact that like his motivations for wanting to become invisible as opposed to the motivations for him becoming insane and uh and i, I think that's that's interesting that's worth exploring right yeah. i mean kevin bacon i don't think starts as a bad guy in i mean he, he's not like a good guy but he's not a bad guy mm -hmm. in hollow man and uh and he becomes he becomes like this insane dude uh simply by the fact that like what he's gone through is pretty much irreversible yeah right yeah so uh, I think that's, I think it's interesting. Um, so I, I want to point out that the, the hollow man movie, one of the reasons it is so fucked up from top to bottom is because it was directed by, uh, Paul Verhoeven, mm -hmm. right. Who, who does some, some of my favorite, like jacked up adaptations of science fiction, like Robocop and recall, right. So you have him to thank for know all the really messed up everything in in robocop right which was like super hyper violent if you've ever <laughs> if you haven't seen robocop yeah and uh which was actually filmed in Dallas, by the way in case you were wondering what futuristic detroit looked like uh we're living it right now uh but if you uh if you ever only saw robocop on edited for tv format um you may actually not know what you're walking into. Yeah. Like you don't don't buy it and and show it to your kids, kind of thing. Like, oh, I remember watching this when I was young. You know, it, it may be one of the most violent and gory movies <laughs> that you will ever see. And uh it's it's really jacked up. Like there's that one guy that like gets a gets uh you know chemicals and stuff on him and then he gets hit by a car and he like explodes oh, yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like it's all, all of it's really messed up anyway i love robocop i love total recall i like paul verhoven's uh style of directing and everything so hollow man uh it, it fits into that in kind of a weird way um mm -hmm. it's not it's not necessarily his his bread and butter like compared to like his 80s films and everything but uh it, it was interesting in its own way and that that influences me and in how i want to see invisible man because you're right the mummy or mummy right yeah. that part of the dark universe that universal's trying to recreate uh for those who don't know that universal uh was steeped in monster movies a long time ago and it's, they're trying to bring that kind of thing back hats off to them for that because that's a, it's a cool concept and i think that we might be ready for that now but uh invisible man trailer uh i don't people are talking like oh dark universe is back like we did it guys you know like we're we're still on track with this stuff invisible man does not seem like it's part of this universe um like the trailer right i mean the, the fantastical elements of mummy and stuff like that are completely devoid here it is literally a movie about a sociopath that just happens to become invisible 
So uh, I don't I don't know how those things overlap and if they're going to have Easter eggs for from one thing to the other and that kind of thing. It really seems like its own standalone movie, but uh, it does look like it's made a compelling reason for me to go see the movie. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of interested too of what they're going to take from H.G. Wells's novel and if they're going to integrate any of that into it or if this is just going to be its own thing. I mean, so far from the trailer, it just kind of looks like it's just going to be its own thing. But uh, I'm I'm hoping that they kind of bring in elements of what you know, because H.G. Wells like created this character. So I I just hope that they would at least bring in some elements from the book. Well, it's like uh, I agree with you. I mean, obviously, that's that's an important thing to have respect for your source material. But there, there are some things about uh, the way that they treat this that reminds me of potentially the way they've treated like Frankenstein's monster, right? Like if if you go back and I think it's Mary Shelley who did did Frankenstein. If you go back and you read that book and you were expecting, you know, some kind of weird romp you know, with like Dr. Dr. Frankenstein, like doing X, Y, and Z and like a monster chasing them everywhere and that kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's a character study, the whole thing. Like it's, it's a comment on society and it, it's, it's very dry compared to what Hollywood has manufactured out of maybe 8% of what that book is. And, uh, right. That's the same thing with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, I mean, like, yeah, what we what we see today is like the video gameized version of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing. And you know, what what we're really used to is what we've had manufactured by Hollywood from a long time ago. We're not we're I mean it's it's way different if you read the book. So I would I would say that we could go a couple of different directions with this. Uh, we could respect the source material fully and we could try to bring it back in and lace it through in a really tasteful way. Or we could take the, the themes of invisible man and, or perhaps even just the concept of invisible man. And we could weave it into a completely new style of movie. Mm -hmm. And I, either way is fine with me. Um, I see the latter happening more than the former just because of the trailer that we've watched. So I would be very curious as to how this turns out, but you know, in, in general, I'm very excited about this. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I mean, um, because the actress, the main actress in it, I mean, obviously uh, a lot of people know her from like Mad Men and um, she's also in uh, another TV series that's been real popular recently. I'm trying to recall, uh, I think it's the, uh, I think it's Handmaid's Tale, right? Um, which is Handmaid's also Tale, yeah. another sci-fi adaptation from um, other literature that has come out in the past. So yeah, she's she's an excellent actress, so I, I have no worries there, but uh, yeah, we'll have to see how it is when it comes out. Absolutely. Do we have enough time for a uh, lighthouse or yeah. army of darkness review? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, all right. So you and I had a movie night recently and, and it was hard to pick a good movie from the stash of things that I had recently bought. And, and one of those reasons why is because mountain girlfriend is not a horror movie aficionado, right? Yeah. Like she doesn't, she doesn't love that kind of stuff. So a lot of the stuff that I purchased recently was more accessible 
mm-hmm. right? It was, it was, uh, there was comedy involved in it, or it was like so bad it was good kind of thing. Like what I like, they live, right? I bought that on, on Blu-ray finally because I'm an old man and I don't do digital downloads yet. Um, so one of the things that we looked for was accessibility and kind of like what we haven't seen in a long time and what we really wanted to to take another fresh look at. And, uh, an army of darkness, uh, was, was the movie we chose. And we, we did the director's cut this time, right? It's like, so, and I didn't expect that there was like a European cut and then the American cut and then the director's cut in this package. But it's funny. Like, I don't, I didn't catch up on all the nuanced stuff that they added back in. Um, I, uh, I, 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 you made a, a joke about last episode, but I do love this movie. Like I really, I really do. Um, it describe Sam Raimi's direction style for people who <laughs> don't know anything except for the Spider-Man franchise. Well, you could kind of see a little bit of it in the Spider-Man franchise where, uh, like, I, I vividly remember the scene from, I think it was the second Spider-Man where Doc Ock's climbing up the, the walls and stuff, and then it zooms in on this reporter chick that's there, and she's screaming, like, has her hands up to her face, like, oh, my God, you know, it's just, it's, so it's almost like a very over-the-top, in-your-face, sort of a pulp uh, type of comic feel to it. So, you know, he's he's known for you know, having very crazy close-ups, but there's <laughs> some insane close-ups <laughs> during this film, especially whenever, uh, you know, he's he's gearing up, and I think, you know, you see him, like, uh, putting everything on, and the weapon, and zooming in, and, you know, it's a badass way of doing it, but I think the most, uh, the, the thing I could describe as directing is it's very manic, um, so it definitely comes across, and you definitely need it to come across that way for this film, but whenever he's uh, going up against the, uh, you know, the bad miniature uh, versions of himself, you know, and it's almost like <laughs> Gulliver's Travels, you know, and they're like tying them down and stuff and just the insanity that <laughs> where one is inside him and he has to drink this boiling hot water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, there's so many scenes in this film that was just so great. But, yeah, I never seen the director's cut either. And I think it definitely had more uh, skeletons and, and more than I could remember. Well, you compared like the the stop motion stuff to like because oh, there is a lot of stop motion in this movie um, as far as the the visual you know effects and everything are concerned, and they mix that in with people who are like practical effects and costume and stuff like that. But uh, you you mentioned the comment that was very Jason and the Argonauts yeah. style of you know how, how how skeletons are moving and fighting and everything, and that was spot on for people who are uninitiated with the evil dead series and everything just to give a really quick recap uh which again you can watch army of darkness by itself because they do a recap at the very beginning and it's literally all you need to know but the uh the the thing is that you know evil dead being kind of like a very pulpy horror movie and then evil dead 2 which is i mean it's not a remake but it really is and uh you know, it's just a better version of the first movie. Uh, you know, it's it's it, they're they're horror movies, but they have a clear protagonist from beginning to end. And you know, you, you it's the guy you're you're rooting for throughout this entire movie, and and so there it, it kind of avoids the whole final girl trope 
and that kind of thing where like oh well they killed everybody else it's clearly the person that we need to root for now you know when you walk into it you get a clear sense that uh ash is the guy that you're supposed to be rooting for and you know all the crazy shit that's happening to him and like him persevering in in what is ostensibly the most like you said man directing of of any style of movie that you'll experience and you're right like uh it lends itself really well to this style of movie i can't see sam raimi doing like a deep character piece on you know some indie type movie or anything like that i mean maybe he has but it would have no kind of bearing on the kind of directorial style that we see from him all the time um it the the bottom line is the reason that ash is a, is a famous character is for army of this it's necessarily because of the evil dead series uh because they take all of the goofy and you know smirky and cheesy this from you know that you kind of get a sense of in the first two movies and then you get it like just rammed down your throat in army of darkness and but it's all in a very endearing way like you watch it these you know today and you're kind of like okay i get why this movie took off like why why it was a cult favorite and everything so the uh the entire thing with the manic direction style and everything uh sam raimi did other movies like quick and the dead obviously and that kind of stuff and they you're right they do the manic close-ups and stuff like that and they're like you know in the way that uh, the Necronomicon and like the deadites and everything are having to uh, like, they do the, the camera chase thing close to the ground and it's like following them through the oh, woods. Yeah. That's and one that of my kind favorite of scenes. Yeah. That was really well done. Yeah. And it's, it's really like part and parcel of the way Sam Raimi directs these movies. Um, Army of darkness was kind of really the first taste that you get of, of Ash as like, a protagonist and so you see later on and things like ash in the in the uh versus the evil dead that tv series and everything that he's just like an augmented version of what you get in army of darkness and he and like and the funny thing is is uh, bruce campbell you know who who plays ash in this movie he's a handsome dude in these movies right and so like he really hams up the whole over the hill aspect of what he's doing in ash versus the evil dead but in in this thing like he's definitely playing the classic you know like i'm i'm the handsome you know like savior of this realm or whatever and it, anyway I, I would absolutely recommend to anybody who enjoys the kind of like cult classic, so bad it's good style of movie that you put this on your list. Um, yes, it is. It is frantic. Yes, it's full of weird shit that's constantly memorable. Um, what, what was the? I, I know there was like there were four times I said like, God, I love Sam Raimi. Like every <laughs> single time. Well, that they did a close up on like his face or whatever, you know, while like like the time he had the extra head oh, yeah. or whatever on his shoulder and they're like looking at each other, you know, it's, it's yeah, wait, so where classic. evil ash comes from. And then evil ash, like after he comes back and the stuff that he says is just hilarious, like the two of them going back and forth. But uh yeah, I I just thought the the whole storyline well it's funny is, you know, it's like he's almost like a 
like an anti-hero like he doesn't want to be the protagonist but by the end he does and he's almost like chickening out a little bit uh you see it at times but the the whole story starts where he's uh what was it safe mart was that the name of the store he was worked at s mart yeah shop smarts shop at smart yeah shop s mart so he ends up just going back in time and like this medieval time and and it's like he doesn't care about these people at, at first he didn't care about anything he's just like you know I just want to go back to, you know, working my shitty job. Like that's, that's basically the yeah. whole movie. And so, you know, he ends up like leaving the love interest behind. He's like, Oh, got to go back, you know, got to go back to work. And it's just that that's the part of it where it's just like, it's, it's so over the top, but hilarious too. Cause it's just kind of like, wow, this guy just wants to get back to, you know, doing his routine. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, the, the parts where you were just like, God, I, I love Sam Raimi films is I think whenever the, the uh the actual army of darkness is trying to storm the castle and so so you see you see these skeletons just getting like blown apart and there's like skeleton you know parts flying all over the place and then eventually they they end up like storming the castle and uh all the craziness that ensues from that but yeah it's it it was such a good time and and i could see why a lot of people kind of think of this as like evil dead three and I'm not sure what the story of that is, of how it ended up just being Army of Darkness, but regardless, it, it works, and I'm glad we chose that. I know that, at least for Emily's pr- perspective, it probably would have been better to start with Evil Dead 1, you know, the very first one, but uh, right. but I think she enjoyed this, uh, just how zany and over-the-top uh, this was, you know, for early 90s. Yeah, it, it is, uh, is a unique film, to be sure, and the... Uh, the thing that, and you, you touched on it for sure, but the uh, the kind of closure that you get from a um, Bill and Ted excellent adventure kind of thing where they take the princesses like back to the future and then they're going to like live with them and that kind of thing. Uh, you don't get any of that with this movie. Like it, it is, it is kind of making fun of its own ability to be episodic, right? Where he he goes and he is a uh he's this protagonist that is like living as a king and like is the smartest and like handsomest and like best equipped to handle this threat and if he stayed there he would be revered for the rest of his life and yet he can't wait to get back in his shitty car and go back to the future where all he does is stock at s smart yeah. and it's it's like completely bizarre but and that's the thing that like I think everybody just kind of like they make gloss over that fact. But it's it's a it's a funny it's it's a it's a funny movie. I, I love it. The 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 love interest that he has, where you know like they make love finally and all that stuff, and she's just like you know like he's he's just gonna like run away, and she's like, well, but what about what about that? He's like. That was just pillow talk, baby. <laughs> like he's such a jackass throughout, but he's such an endearing character that you can't help but root for him and hope that things work out for him. And so, you know, and spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen it, but the end of the film where, you know, he takes this potion and he's going to basically like hibernate for thousands of years until he's, you know, back to modern day, uh, he wakes up and, it's almost like a it's it's definitely a nod to uh planet of the apes where you know you see the statue of liberty and he's like you know you damn dirty apes or whatever so he wakes up and he just sees like london and everything's just like torn down and he he slept way too long because he he of course like 
got distracted when he was trying to do, I guess it was like the seven drops or six drops, and he did like right. one drop too many, and he's freaking out, and you know, you could tell like uh, that apocalypse has happened and stuff, and yeah, it was just, that was a funny way to end it. Yeah, it was good, and that would have been a great uh, jumping off point for, for Ash versus the Evil Dead, but I think that they, I don't know if they like kind of retconned that or what, but you know, he, he made it back, obviously, and, and that's a, that's a great show for people who haven't seen that. Um, it's got it's got about as much star power as you can expect from a Sam Raimi TV show. They bring back in uh, Lucy Lawless, and uh, by the way, for people who don't know, Sam Raimi did Hercules uh, and uh, and Xena, Warrior Princess, yeah, that's for. Right. For TV, you know, so if you were ever like, oh, my God, I, I love these weird, quirky ass shows, uh, that's that's who did. It. So you have uh, you have every reason now to go see Army of Darkness. Yep, definitely. Yeah, that and that was fun. Uh, we definitely need to do more of those, uh, a lot of those more often of just doing movie reviews. So kind of like we talked about earlier with the shadow or, you know, anything else like I'm down, I'm game. So, yeah, I think that was a lot of fun. But uh yeah, uh, shortly after that, I, I saw a movie that uh, we had been talking about, and that was uh, The Lighthouse. Uh, so Robert Eggers, who directed The Witch, uh, this is his movie a few years later, and it's got Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson in it, and they play basically keepers of this lighthouse that is in, in the middle of this rock, like in the middle of the ocean, looks like Nova Scotia or something. And, you know, this was this is a real thing. And, and the interesting part about this film is, you know, you see these characters, of course, it's filmed in, in a four by three aspect ratio, 35 millimeter film. And I could tell there was a lot of technical challenges to this because it's just it's constantly raining the entire time. There's just storms. And so the fact that they were able to achieve this, and I'm sure they probably had a lot of cameras ruined and, and all that uh, was was real interesting. But the direction here, you know, it, it was it was very um, ominous, very creepy, you know, kind of reminded me of uh the same direction that you get with uh, uh, what was that Leonardo DiCaprio film um, where he ends up? Uh, uh, oh yeah, something Island, Shutter Island, Shutter Island. Yeah, so it kind of had had yeah. some vibes to it like that, where you're kind of like, okay, what's really happening here? But um, you know, so overall, you know, it, it's it's real interesting because Robert Pattinson's almost like this drifter, and he's kind of running from his past. You don't really know too much about him, but he. He really doesn't want to, you know, partake in conversation and talk. And it's just the two of them out there and they're supposed to, it's only supposed to be four weeks, but the storm ends up enduring and it becomes longer and they start losing their minds because they're having to ration what they have in terms of food. And, uh, <laughs> right from the get go, like, you know, they're, they basically bunk in the same area and, you know, uh, William Defoe's character is just constantly farting. Like he's walking by and just like farting on him and all this stuff. So there, there was some very unexpected humor. And I, I, I listened to some of the interviews and, and they ask uh, Robert Pattinson and, and, and William Defoe, like, you know, how much of that was real and how much of that was just sound effects. And, and William started, uh, you know, laughing. He was like, no, I think, uh, I think most of it was just me, you know? <laughs> so, but you know, they had to do so many takes where I, I don't think he could reproduce that much gas, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Cause you start to see, it's really about two characters just losing their minds, uh, as, as time goes on and, and they're, they're not having enough food and then they're dealing with a storm and, um, but you really get to see sort of like what it, what it was like 
during that time, and that's one thing I, I do applaud the director for, is that even he did this with The Witch of like how people lived back then. And so what was the occupation of, of this, this uh, you know, sort of a, a caretaker of a lighthouse? What all does he do? And you see all of his tasks and stuff. And eventually it, st- it starts to go out of order as he's starting to lose his mind. And you kind of discover the reason why he's on the run and he ends up admitting it um, one night when they're, you know, really, really drunk together. And, you know, so they're always at odds and Willem Dafoe is basically kind of like his boss while he's out there and he's bossing around and not really doing much of anything. And, you know, just uh, really like a callous individual. And so, but you could tell Robert Pattinson's character is very much a hard worker. And so, you know, there's a lot of uh, going back and forth where, they do have some moments where he finally opens up and they, they start to connect a little bit, but they're always at odds with each other. They're very much like an odd couple. Um, but, you know, as far as the mystery aspect of it goes, there's a lot of stuff that happens where I thought it was going to go in a certain direction. I really hoped that, that it would uh, with the supernatural, but it doesn't get too heavy into that. And I, I felt like that was kind of a missed opportunity, but I get what he was going for. This is more of a psychological type of film in terms of losing his mind. So very much similar to like Shutter Island in a way. Um, well, Brandon, do you know who's not an odd couple? Who's that? Audible and Sensibly Loud Radio. Oh, yeah. That's perfect. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Sorry, I want to make sure we got that in oh, before yeah. uh, before we were done. No, and, and that matches up because you know Shutter Island was a novel, and yeah, so that that ties in perfectly. But uh, yeah, the the film is it's it's real interesting, but it just I felt like a, a lot of scenes kind of dragged on a little bit. Um, so I can't really give this a perfect score, but I would I'd probably give this film like an A minus. Um, just because there's certain scenes where I don't really think they were necessary, but it, it really shows like uh, the madness of Robert Pattinson's character and how that you're starting to wonder like what's real and what isn't, and and a lot of the stuff he's starting to imagine um, until his violent behavior comes out. But I will say that it's a powerhouse film in terms of for these two actors showing off their acting skills and abilities. Um, some of the language is a bit hard to understand because again they're getting the sort of the the nuances of how people spoke back then especially these kind of sailors so some of that's a little hard to follow uh but you know as far as like the the range and just these two guys carrying the film they definitely carried it uh but i don't know if i would see this film again it's just one of those where it's kind of a hard watch especially towards the end um and once the end happens you were just kind of like okay they went they went that way with it um not (laughs) not not the direction that I was thinking it was going to go or that I was hoping it was going to go, but you know, it, it just was sort of a, a classic example in terms of like insanity and what, what it can do to somebody. So. Perfect. Yep. So uh direct direction and everything. I mean, did, did you think that it was aside from the pacing, do you think cinematography and everything was good? Yeah, I feel like the cinematography was excellent. Um, the soundtrack throughout was excellent as well. You know, again, everything's really ominous. Um, you know, it was written pretty well, but it was just there was just a lot of manic scenes and a lot of you know images that I can't get out of my head, but in a good way. 
Um, it's just the way that the the story went. I just felt like it was kind of a misopportunity in certain steps. But again, you know, it's this is this is what Robert Eggers Eggers does. And when I saw The Witch, which came out uh, years ago, that was that was a good film, and it had a lot of uh, very ominous uh, sensibilities to it. And but at the same time, like I I couldn't really tell you that I was like you know, over the moon for that film either. You know, it's just, it's just very different. And it's, I think he does a really good job in terms of having sort of like a, a, a greater sense and, and appreciation for that time period and really like accurately putting that to screen. Nice. Well, I, uh, I think we all appreciate your, your take on the lighthouse. And it's something that we've been seeing, you know, trailers for a long time for. And, and I think it's, it's something that was absolutely something we needed to talk about. Yeah, and I I feel like uh, with Robert Pattinson's performance in this, I mean, I, I'm even more excited for the Batman and and seeing his duality as Bruce Wayne and Batman and and the rage that he can put on screen. That was pretty pretty interesting to see. But uh, yeah, uh, but it's I'm also gonna go see uh, later this afternoon. I'm gonna go see uh, Doctor Sleep, so I will definitely have a review for that next week. Um, look forward to discussing that with you. Um, and, uh, for all of our listeners out there, uh, but yeah, this has been a, a fun episode, Carl. Uh, do you have anything else uh, you yeah. want to add? Uh, no, I just, uh, just glad I'm back and I, I appreciate everything that you guys have done with my, with my, uh, while I was gone. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to thank all of our listeners out there uh, for listening to today's episode of Since Be Loud Radio. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter and Instagram at Since Be Loud, uh, Facebook at Since Be Loud Media. And if at any time you want to leave us a voicemail, you can call 972-885-9361. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Sensibly Loud Radio.